7. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 40, And with many other words he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. Uh, And let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this passage of Scripture. We ask that you teach us your word now. We have many burdens on our hearts, and we're going to pray about those in just a little while. But we do ask that you'd open our hearts and teach us your word, this important truth about uh, our church and churches. And we ask that you would uh, please uh, teach us your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we pick up here in Acts chapter 2, the story of Pentecost. Uh, (laughs) Pentecost is... 50 days after the Passover, Christ, of course, our Passover. The word penta means 50. Pentecost was a feast of the Jews that took place 50 days after uh, the Passover. And so here we have uh, this uh, gathering where Jews from all over had come to celebrate the Passover, and the Lord used this opportunity Uh, to send the Holy Spirit visibly. Now, we know that Christ had already promised the Holy Spirit to the uh, apostles in John chapter 14, 15, 16. Uh, And then we know in Luke, uh, the last chapter of Luke, the Lord says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Ghost was already sent. But here we have a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit taking place at Pentecost. And of course, the uh, the visible representation, verse 3, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and set upon each one of them. So the Bible here records Peter's sermon, but we know that many people were preaching. So this was a large group of people. They had preachers scattered throughout, uh, and on all of these preachers, these a cloven tongues as a fire, a visible representation of the, the Holy Spirit came across. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this was not unknown tongues as uh, the Pentecostals and Charismatics do, these uh, tongues that, that nobody knows, and 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 all of that. And it's like, oh, here's what you said. 
Now, that's not what the Bible is talking about here. The Bible says that God supernaturally gave these preachers the ability to speak in uh, languages that they did not know. Uh, And there is some debate about whether they actually spoke in languages or if the miracle was that they spoke and everybody heard uh, the, the language in their own tongue. But we know that there were people from, I believe it's 17 nations, uh, that are detailed here in, in verses 6 through 11. And then look at the miracle here in verse 11. And Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues or languages the wonderful works of God. So the miracle was that all of these people who spoke different languages heard the word of God in their own language uh, and uh, God getting supernaturally getting the gospel to all of these people. Verse 13, others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. So there's always going to be mockers when God's moving. Uh, don't let the scoffers uh, discourage you. There's always going to be people, oh, you're, you're spiritual now. Oh, you're going to church now. You're better than us now. Uh, you know, all, all the, the mockings and the scoffings and, and, and uh, the craziness as their life remains unchanged. Don't let that phase you. And then verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. So here we have Peter preaching, and the eleven are uh, there as well, people preaching all around. We know from Acts chapter 1 that there were 120 people in the upper room. Uh, So if you think about the math, they went from uh, 12 to 11 because um, Judas... And then in the upper room, we find 120. And then here at uh, Pentecost, we find 3,000 added. And God just has the ability to add to his church. That's why I often encourage our church. I encourage other preachers. You know, sometimes the church is full and sometimes the church is empty. But God's going to build his church. Uh, Sometimes we got money and sometimes we're broke. But Christ is going to build his church. Sometimes we see a lot of people saved, and sometimes it's slow going. But Christ will build His church. It belongs to Him. And so our job is to walk by faith, not by sight, not get discouraged by what we see or don't see, but move forward, doing the right thing, trusting God, uh, and then God gives the increase in His time. Some plant, some water, God gives the increase. We go through times of planting periods. We go through watering periods. We go through harvesting periods. And in a soul-winning church, all of those things are happening at the same time. So we see God's mighty working here taking place at Pentecost. Uh, And we could take time to read through all of this, but we won't. Peter preaches a a fantastic sermon here, of course, and it's recorded in the Word of God. (laughs) Look at verse 37. Uh, Now when they heard this, they heard this message, they were pricked in their heart. This is called conviction. These spirit-filled men preaching the word of God uh, to these sinners. The sinners were pricked in their conscience. They were under conviction, and they said, what shall we do? And then verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. Now, this is one of those verses that if you don't know your Bible, it it would be easy to assume that baptism is necessary for salvation. 
There are just two or three verses in the Bible where if you don't know your scriptures, it can make it seem that way. We know that's not true. We're, we've talked about that many times here and all the reasons why. But oftentimes these things are cleared up when you just know a simple definition. So I want you to look at your scripture here, verse 38, and I want to show you the one word that shows us why this isn't speaking of baptism necessary for salvation, and it's the word for. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, if you don't mind making notes in your Bible, circle that word for, the remission of sins. And that word for means pointing to. Pointing to. So now let's read it as we would just understanding that one word. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, pointing to the remission of sins. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? That we get baptized to point to the fact that we've been forgiven. Repent in the scriptures can be used synonymously with salvation. Uh, and so the Bible's talking about getting saved and then get baptized, pointing to the fact that you have been forgiven. And then, of course, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. In the early church, actually, the, the ministry of Christ and the beginning of the church, we have these special miracles called the sign gifts. And these sign gifts were an abundance of miracles. Uh, so it was God's stamp of approval on the ministry of Christ and on this new thing called the church. The local church had never existed before. The New Testament church had never existed before. How do we know this is a thing? So God did these special miracles. Matter of fact, if you think about the abundance of miracles in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, it's astounding. Uh, if you go back and count the miracles in all of the Old Testament, we believe there were just over 130 miracles in those thousands of years. But in the, in the ministry of Christ and the beginning of the church, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Why? It was God's stamp of approval saying, I'm doing something new. And of course, uh, for the Jews primarily and the rest of the world, the Jews were taught to look for these signs, and God gave them plenty of signs. That's why Christ would get frustrated when someone would go to him and say, show me a sign. And he had to be looking around like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Really? Blind man sees, lame can walk, deaf can hear, dead raised, and you want a sign? That's why he said, there'll be no sign but the prophet Jonas. If you can't get the sign from the message of Jonah, you're not going to get the miracles that's going on right around you. And that's why we often remind people that, you know, sometimes we feel like, boy, if God would just come down and do a miracle, a lot of people would get saved. And you know what the truth is? If people don't want to believe, they're going to find a reason not to believe. Remember in Luke chapter 16, the, the man in hell said, Lord, send Send him back to my brothers so that if, if they see one rise from the dead, then they'll believe. And Abraham said, no, they have the prophets. And if they don't believe the prophets, they're not going to believe though one rose from the dead. And this is why the sign gifts went away with the completion of the Bible. As the Bible was completed, uh, we now had the, 
the proof of history, the sign gifts, and the completed Word of God, all these miracles were no longer necessary. Now, God can still do miracles, but we're back to the sparse miracles that we would have seen back in the Old Testament days. So we're just giving you some introduction here, kind of setting the stage for this uh, thought. We find the word church mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, some people will point to the the work at Pentecost as the start of the New Testament church. And I don't believe that's true. And I'm going to show you why. I believe it's important that we understand when the church started. When the church started. Much like the book of Genesis, if we get the beginning right, then we get a good running start through to the end, don't we? But Genesis 1 through 3 are the most attacked chapters in the Bible. Why? Because if we get the beginning wrong, then a lot of other things are going to be wrong. And if we get the, the local church wrong, uh, then a lot of other things are going to go wrong. If we get the beginning of the church wrong, uh, it's going to be a problem. Why is it that in our day and age, so many professing believers don't seem to recognize the importance of church? Isn't that kind of astonishing? How many of you have ever heard someone say, oh, I'm saved, but I don't need to go to church, or something like that? We all have. Where does that come from? Why do people think that? It's impossible to read your Bible and come to that conclusion. People often say, well, there's, there's no commandment in the Bible that tells me I have to go to church. And I'll say, yeah, there's no commandment in the Bible that tells you to breathe. There's no commandment that tells you to eat. There's no commandment that tells you to sleep. But we do all those things and we know we should. And it, it would be kind of foolish if there was a list of commandments. Breathe, eat, sleep, blink. Like, what is this? There are some truths that are so evident they don't need to be mentioned. I don't have to tell my kids, don't burn our house down. That's not a conversation we've ever had. Right? There are just certain things. Don't murder your mother and I in our sleep. Just certain things you don't have to talk about. And going to church is one of those things that is so built into the fabric of Christianity it's almost a ridiculous thing to expect God to command it. Uh, matter of fact, from the very beginning of the local church, and as you see Christ talking about it, it's built into everything that, that Christianity is in this New Testament church age. Our entire world should revolve around the local church. That's the way it's presented in the Scripture. Matter of fact, that's what we read here these people, once they got born again, look at verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people got saved out of these masses. And then they said, well, we don't have to go to church anymore and went and lived their lives. 
Well, of course not. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So the, the ones that got saved naturally were added to this, this organization called the church and there was really a spirit of fear among the, the uh, a community, not, not the church community, but the community at large about all these people getting saved and, and this, this name of Christ becoming so powerful and, and so famous. And, you know, this thing wasn't done in a corner. The people at Jerusalem knew who Jesus was. Many of them were there in the crowds shouting, crucify him, or they knew of someone that had gotten healed or their life was transformed uh, and they knew that he had been uh, crucified, and they knew the, the rumors that he had risen from the dead, and now they see these powerful miracles going on. There was a spirit of what's going on in the community at large. At the same time, the Jews were trying so much to squash this new church and keep people from getting saved that they came up with the idea that if you as a Jew profess Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were now dead. You were dead to us. You were not only no longer a Jew, you were no longer alive. They would literally hold funerals for people that got saved. There was a man that came here years ago, some of you will remember, Mark Schwartz, and it came from a very wealthy Jewish family in New York got saved when he was in uh, elementary school. It came out later as a young child in school that he had gotten born again. Rather than suffer the embarrassment of having a child who turned Christian, his family put him in a mental institution. Think about that. And after years of medications and treatments and different things, he was a little off. But boy, he loved the Lord, didn't he? You knew him? Oh, Pastor Chapman, I love Jesus so much. You know, and he, he always had this gravelly voice, and, and he was always getting new Bibles. Oh, Pastor Chapman, I got a new Bible. Did you read the last one? Oh, Pastor Chapman. You know, he'd always do that with his hand. And um, all he would have had to do is recant and say he didn't trust Jesus. And as a, as a young boy, he said no. Think about that. And he used to say that he knew people that had had funerals who'd gotten saved, that where their family had had funerals for them. So while all this amazing miracles are happening, happening the, the Jewish civil government and religious leaders were trying so hard to squash this thing, they said if someone comes out as a Christian, they're going to lose their job. They're not going to be able to buy and sell at the local markets. Their family has to disown them. And if you don't do those things, if your family doesn't disown you, now your family's dead. And if someone were to sell to you and gets caught, now they're dead. And if someone were to give you a place to live and they get caught, now they're dead. There was tons of fear going on. The fact that 3,000 people got saved, shocking. By the way, this still happens in other countries. Take Muslim countries, for example. It is sometimes a life and death decision 
if someone gets born again, that's one thing, but if they choose to get baptized after salvation, that's sometimes a life or death decision. And they still do it. And yet we've got people that won't walk across the sidewalk to come to church. They won't get in the car and drive across town. Something's off, isn't it? And I submit to you that part of this goes back to not even understanding what the church is, its purpose, how we got it, uh, how it was started. And one of these days we're going to preach a whole series of messages on that, not, not now. But God did want me to, to address this in at least this message here about the, the beginning, uh, the start of the New Testament church. When did this church start? We find in verses 44 and 46 that there was this subculture of people that got saved. They had to, to buy and sell with one another and people would help them. And sometimes wealthy people like Barnabas would get saved and they would sell property or other things to and give that to the group so that they could sustain these people. And you would think, boy, what, what a miserable existence. These people must have been so sad to lose everything and and have their, their families turn their back on them, and, and just the, the difficult life of having to leave their homes and lose their careers and all their life savings gone, their future, uh, just, just totally dark now, worldly speaking. But let's read uh, verse 46. And they continued daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat meat with what? Gladness. <laughs> Boy, we probably complained about some stuff today that's pretty ridiculous. Me included. And here these people are, having lost everything but gained the only thing that mattered. <laughs> and they did it with gladness and singleness of heart. Not a one of them said, oh, I made the wrong decision. Oh, I wish I could go back. No. With singleness of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with who? All the people. See, when somebody gets saved and they get their life turned around and they get filled with joy and peace and they go from being a scoundrel to a saint, they go from being a liar to honest, they go from being dirty to clean. The people in the community, they couldn't say it publicly. But a lot of people said, yeah, I like those people called Christians. Those are good folks. By the way, that's what they should still say about us. Doesn't matter what the nightly news says, doesn't matter what the, the pundits on TV say or what the people in Congress say. You know, the idea that in America right now they're saying that the number one threat to America are people like you and I. Who would have ever thought that there'd be in a day in America where someone would stand beside a, behind a government podium and say things like this? The FBI came out with a watch list just a couple years ago, and they haven't really changed it yet as far as I know. 
that had on it people to watch. Religious fundamentalists. You know what a fundamentalist is? One who just believes the fundamentals. If you're religious, if you're patriotic and religious and believe the Bible, we got to keep our eye on you. You're going to be trouble. It doesn't matter what they say. If we keep a good testimony locally and the people that know you are like, no, no, I, I know Richard Pesh. He's a good guy. That goes a long way, doesn't it? But here we go in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In our final minutes here, I want to just take you and show you a few verses. I don't believe the church started at Pentecost because it was already here. They added to the what? The church. (laughs) So there was a church that existed that they added people to. 3,000 people got saved. They added those 3,000 people when they got baptized to the church that already existed. People were getting saved daily. They added those people to the church that already existed. So we know that the church existed in Acts chapter 2. So where did the church start? Well, let's work backwards, and I'll show you another place we know the church existed. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we know the church existed because we have the Great Commission telling us to go out and reach people and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we learned what happens in Acts chapter 2 when you get baptized, you get added to the church. So look what it says here in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is to, the commandment is to individual believers, but the purpose of baptism is so that they can show their faith and be added to the church. We know the church existed here in Matthew chapter 28. So where did the church start? Well, we know that the church also existed in Matthew chapter 18. So go back to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is telling us how to handle our trespasses. If someone trespasses against us or sins against us, it tells us what to do in verses 15 through 18. By the way, uh, churches, ours included, would do a lot better with problems if people would follow this. Communities would do a lot better. Nations would do a lot better. Look at verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Look at that. If somebody hurts you, go tell them. Oh, well, they're so hard to talk to. Yep, go tell them anyway. I have that conversation a lot with people. Well, they're, they're hard to talk to or they're not going to handle it well. It's not your responsibility for them to handle it well. It's your responsibility to go in a Christian kindness and tell them alone. And then if that doesn't work, or if it does work, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if that doesn't work, verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, 
that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So a lot of people want to skip to number two. They want to go to their brother or sister with somebody else or involve me. And it's like, no, no, as soon as somebody else gets involved, now the whole situation's escalated. When a lot of times things could be fixed if, if you just had a quick conversation, it's amazing how many misunderstandings get blown up because we don't follow these basic things, right? And verse 17, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the who? Church. The church. So there must have been a church in Matthew chapter 18. This isn't prophetic. It's not saying that there's going to be a church someday. He's talking very matter-of-factly. Tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. And of course, uh, there are times when we have to separate from people. If they are involved in gross sin and just refuse to, to get things right, we still love them. But we don't treat them as if they are a, a faithful member of, of a church. We can't do that. Uh, and then, interesting, we won't take time to get into it, but verse 18, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This here is speaking to the church. The church has uh, some leeway to bind and loose some things. That's a whole other message. So we know the church existed in Acts chapter 2. We know the church existed in Matthew chapter 28. We know the church existed in Matthew chapter 18. Where did the church start? Let's look back at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And look at verse 15. He saith unto them, but whom say ye the son of whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, Christ meaning the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, just means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, you didn't learn that from anybody else, but my heavenly Father brought you to this conclusion, and it's true. And then verse 18, And I also say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my what? Church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So much truth there. Now, this verse is often uh, over, uh, excuse me, misunderstood uh, because, the, like the Catholics would say, that, well, the church was built upon Peter and Peter became the first pope. The problem is the Bible never says that. The Bible doesn't say anything about Peter becoming a pope. By, matter of fact, in some of the the big church meetings that took place in the book of Acts, Peter didn't even preside over them. He wasn't even considered the, the leader of the New Testament churches in the book of Acts. And our Catholic friends get really flummoxed whenever you show them that Peter was married and had a wife and children and a mother-in-law. <laughs> right? And so there, there's all these traditions that get built out of these things on misunderstandings. The fact is that right here we have a beautiful and poetic play on words. The Bible says that thou art Peter. Peter means a little rock. And then the Lord says, and upon this rock, that word rock means 
the big rock, I will build my church. So watch this. He's saying, you're Peter, you're a little rock. But upon this rock, I will build my church. He's talking about the rock of himself. Peter, you got that right. I'm exactly the Christ, the son of the living God. And you're a little rock, but I'm going to build my church on me. And when you see that little distinction in there, those definitions, it's like, wow, that makes so much sense. But we know there was a church here and Christ said, I will build my church. So if there was a church here already, then where in the world did the church start? And I wouldn't fight with anybody over this. There are good people that believe it started at Pentecost. There are good people that believe it started in Matthew chapter 16. But I'm going to show you where I think the church started, and I'm going to tell you why, and we'll be done. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. As you're turning, let me define for you the word church. The, word, the Greek word for the word church is ekklesia. Uh, ek meaning uh, out of, kaleo meaning to call. And so this, this ekklesia means a called out assembly. Uh, so if we were all assembled here, and I said, okay, if you're a Sunday school teacher, I'm going to meet with you over here. We would call out a group of qualified people out of a bigger group to go form a smaller group. That's kind of what this is talking about. And the Bible here uses the word ecclesia because Christ calls believers out of the world and into the church, and they are assembled in the name of Christ. Two things we learn in the Bible uh, about the assembly of the local church. First, it's made up of people who profess Jesus Christ as Savior. You can be a church member if you say, and you have a believable a profession of salvation, where you've said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm trusting Him to get me to heaven. Uh, that's a requirement to be a New Testament church member. Now, a lot of churches around here, uh, and, and Protestant churches especially, all you have to do is ask to be a member and they'll just put you on the rolls. But now you've just got an assembly of lost people or an assembly of lost people and saved people mixed. That's not the point. The ecclesia is a group of a called out assembly and these people are born again by trusting Jesus. The second thing we learn in, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8 and others is through baptism. Uh, the local church is a called out assembly of baptized believers, right? So in order to become a church member, someone simply just has to put their faith in Jesus and they either have to have been baptized at a church of like faith or be baptized in our church. They can become a member. And then with that comes privileges and responsibility. Again, I think pastors have done a huge disservice in not teaching people the responsibilities of church membership and the privilege. It's a privilege to be a church member. That's why we have the brochure, the privilege of church membership. Uh, and sometimes pastors will get that and use it in their church, and they're like, wow, I've never thought about it this way. And no wonder people don't value the local church. Uh, they think it's a privilege to be on the youth soccer league or the youth football team, or that they'll go take their family out of church to put their four-year-old in t-ball because they value that. They see that as a privilege, but they don't value the church. There's a problem there. 
right? And so, in order for a church to be established, there has to be a people called out and gathering a group of people that believe in Jesus and have been baptized by immersion. And look what happens in Acts, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples. So get this, there's a large group following Jesus. Out of all of them, Jesus calls 12 out of that larger group and calls them unto himself. These were people that believed in him. These were people that had been baptized, some of them even all the way back at the beginning with John the Baptist. And when he had called unto them his twelve disciples, he gave unto them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and disease. Remember the sign gifts we were talking about? Now the names of the twelve apostles are these... The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname is Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them. So now I believe right here you see the church established where Jesus, the founder of the church, Acts chapter 20 says that Christ purchased, or excuse me, the church was purchased with the blood of God. Of course, Jesus Christ shed his blood. Here, Christ calls these, t- these 12 out of a larger number, calls them unto himself, ordains them, makes them apostles, and sends them out into the work. Let me show you one last uh, verse to kind of establish this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In verses 12 and 13, (coughs) excuse me, 11 and 12, and he gave some what? Apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ or the local church. So now what do we see? The church the Bible says, was started with apostles. And I think this ties into Matthew chapter 10. First, he gave apostles to build up the church. They were the first church. Matthew chapter 16, there's a church. Matthew chapter 18, there's a church. Matthew 28, there's a church. Acts chapter 2, there's a church. And the church age has never stopped. So I believe this, the New Testament church age runs from Matthew chapter 10 through the rapture that is the New Testament church age. Then you have the Old Testament saints before that. You have the tribulation saints after that and the millennial saints after that. But the New Testament church age is a very specific and important period of time. And we get the opportunity and the privilege to live in that age right now. Isn't that a blessing? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. Pray that you'd help us to understand these things, the importance of the church. It breaks my heart to know that you purchased the church with your blood, that you died for it, that you uh, 